You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. It's small market versus big market, Wednesdays on the Locked On NBA Podcast. Join Jake Madison of the Locked On Pelicans Podcast and John Corrales of Locked On Celtics for a look at the NBA week from all angles. Follow the Locked On NBA Podcast wherever you get podcasts. And, of course, make sure that you're listening to Locked On NBA on Tuesdays where I am joined by my former Locked On Heat co-host, Wes Goldberg, as well. So, as always, you should be subscribed to all the shows on the Locked On Network. Uh, well, I mean, that's a lot right now. We're growing pretty large, and so I, I think it might, might be uh, a little more difficult than I, I might make it seem. But either way, give it a shot. If you can subscribe to all of them, why not? In any case, today's show should be a good one. Uh, still addressing some more questions about free agency. I'll take a look at the Kendrick Nunn situation because new National Basketball Players Association President C.J. McCollum made some recent comments that I'll dissect. I'll also look at whether or not this was a successful offseason. I think that's the big question. And whether or not this might be a knockoff version of the big three. That's a big uh, concern there. Question, perhaps. I'm not sure exactly how that plays out, but we'll we'll break it down as best we can. In any case, let's start off with that first point that I made there regarding the successful offseason. I think, well, look, I'll quantify this right away. There's no way of knowing this. And I'll get into this a little bit later because obviously this team hasn't even actually played yet. But what I do like, and one of the points I've made lately, and look, I, I know if you haven't heard my most recent podcast, I went a little bit negative, right? I, I tried to add a different perspective than my normal balanced optimism. I, I think that I do generally present a balanced opinion of things. I know sometimes that can be mostly optimistic just because I tend to be mostly optimistic as a person, not just as a person covering basketball too. And aside from that, I also am a believer in what this offseason accomplished. Now, I know that some people have genuine concerns about Kyle Lowry, and I discussed those again in last week's or on the, my last episode. So make sure you go check that out if you haven't already. But in terms of this overall offseason, why I think it is successful for now without actually having played a single second of basketball, Miami had a plan, and they stuck to it. Maybe that plan involved other elements. I can imagine other players here and there, but they had more cap space than they knew what to do with. They had built towards this moment for a couple of seasons, hoping that they would be able to lure Kawhi Leonard or Giannis Antetokounmpo. Obviously, none of those players chose to join Miami, and so they had to kind of quickly move on to... Plan B seems kind of derogatory, but realistic, too. Their first goal was to add a superstar. And while Kyle Lowry fits the bill, he's also on the wrong end of his career. And he's also more of a great fit in terms of personality and style of play. He's not so overwhelmingly dominant at this stage in his career, if ever quite honestly. And look, you could have made the same argument for Jimmy Butler. At no point in time in his stints in Philadelphia, Minnesota, or Chicago were teams preparing for Jimmy Butler the same way they do for a Giannis or a Joel Embiid or a Nikola Jokic or a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant or any of the past MVPs. Those players were 
singular forces are singular forces and they dominate in many, many ways, scoring and things of this sort, most notably, I think that's a big part of what makes the convert or drives the conversation regarding your better players in the league. Jimmy is more of an overall talent, a guy who can't impact the game in many ways. I've made this point before. I'll continue to make it. Having said that, Lowry is very similar in that regard. He is a, a stout defender. He draws fouls. He makes the right play. He doesn't cough up the ball. He'll knock down the big shot when it's you know called for. He'll drive to the hoop when that's necessary too. He'll get his points, but he's not gonna he's not gonna dominate in like a fifty point game. He's not the type of player that we saw Giannis become in the MVP. I'm sorry, in the NBA Finals. That's just not who he. That's not who Kyle is. That's not necessarily who Jimmy is. And we saw this version of Jimmy in the NBA Finals. It's good that he's able to do these things. If anything, that kind of speaks to how good Jimmy is. Is that he doesn't always turn it up to this notch because he's always in control. He's always able to get to this version of himself and just chooses to get other players going, his teammates in particular. And I think it's a savvy and wise thing that led to a lot of success in the Orlando bubble and last season as well. Uh, but as far as this offseason is concerned, again, I think they the plan was to add a guy like Cal Lowry, and they did it. They re-signed Duncan Robinson. That's a huge move. For them, I think they recognize what so many of us did not, is that Duncan was a huge priority for them. I thought Duncan would command a lot more on the market. I really thought Duncan would move on. I didn't think he was going to be able to stay in Miami, given the way that people were expecting him to get paid. He did get paid a lot of money, but I think it was pretty fair market value considering his elite level of shooting. And the fact that they were able to re-sign him and continue to build that goodwill that they gave him that opportunity. Look, Duncan got paid. Maybe he could have gotten paid more elsewhere, but I think he was happy with the system, wanted to continue to grow. I, I think that really one of the most underrated aspects of his re-signing with the team is how much he is a believer in the Miami Heat front office and the coaching staff and what they have planned for the future. And that he sees himself as a part of that. I think that's incredible. I think that's a really positive sign of where this franchise is trending and or will continue to develop in that positive sense. And I think Duncan wanting to be a part of that is a huge boost for how this team is perceived league-wide. Maybe that's just my perspective, but I think it's fair. And then you also add a guy like P.J. Tucker to both weaken an opponent while providing exactly what Miami needed when what they were looking for to replace Jay Crowder, a switchable 3-and-D type defender who's willing to guard bigs, who can switch on to smaller players. Not as well, perhaps, but he has that ability. I think he adds a degree of versatility, and I think that's a big you know, a huge part of that is that he is this guy who can do multiple things. He's limited offensively, but you don't need that much because you have other guys like Kyle and Jimmy and Bam who are so versatile in their offensive games. So can this team, can, can this be offseason be viewed as a successful one? I I think so. Let's see, Let's quantify that. How would it be? Because how would it be viewed as successful? Does it have to be finals or bust? Does it have to be a championship? Can it be beyond a first-round playoff exit? Like, where is the barometer for measuring this as a successful offseason? And not just this season, right, because it's the next three. And, I, again, one of the points that I made regarding Kyle Lowry in the last one is what, what if he starts to break down and you're tied into, you know, almost $80 million, $90 million uh, of salary cap expectations going towards Kyle, a player who is on the wrong side of 35 and, and might not necessarily be able to live up to those expectations that Heat fans have placed on him. So 
How do we view this on the flip side of that? How do we view this as an, a positive offseason? I don't think a title is necessarily a big part of that. Maybe that's just my personal perspective. I could be wrong. I guess a lot of you would view that within the next three years, you at least want to be in the finals once and possibly come away with a title as well. I think a, a title run during the next three years, considering the top-tier talent in Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Brooklyn, if Miami is able to achieve that, I think you can qualify this as a pretty successful offseason. A title, a title is so hard, and I think there's more parity around the NBA than ever. I, this is something that, I mean, it just becomes more and more apparent to me. I, on Locked on NBA with my former co-host, Bryce Goldberg, we talked about the over-under betting lines on teams in the preseason, and it's just so hard to look at this Eastern Conference. Like, even a team like Brooklyn, as stacked as they are talent-wise, one injury away from falling apart, right? And yet, we saw even with two of their three superstars injured, they were still able to go on a deep playoff run. That's just how good Kevin Durant is as a singular force of nature, you know, unlike Kyle or Jimmy, et cetera. But having said that, you've got Atlanta potentially making another deep run. The Knicks believe that they're adding to last year's success. Indiana gets their coach in Rick Carlisle. And I mean, look at the depth on this Eastern Conference. This is not the Eastern Conference that uh, some the Eastern Conference that so many people like to label it as. So I, I think this is a very deep conference i think unless there is some kind of shift in how these teams are aligned or something like that miami's run to the nba finals is going to be a very very difficult one i don't expect them to go in there right away i don't i don't have them pencil in in the eastern conference finals or even the nba finals certainly what if they are like that indiana pacers team during the the former big three era what if they are the team that challenges milwaukee the most or brooklyn the most what if they are the team that's built to to you know beat up on these teams. Look at even the the Knicks during Pat Riley's era. Yes, they made one NBA Finals run. Think about that during this and also Jeff Van Gundy after he took over as head coach once Pat Riley joined Miami. They went to the finals twice, didn't win the title at any point in time, and yet they are one of the best teams in NBA history. Right? I mean, with top tier Hall of Fame talent, a clear personality, challenging teams like Indiana and Chicago. The best team in NBA history, many people believe, you know, considering their record and the fact that they were able to win a championship with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, etc. I mean, those Knicks teams of the 90s were fantastic. Even when they were beating up on Miami, Miami had their hands full with those Knicks teams and Jeff Van Gundy. I, I think any longtime Heat fan would acknowledge that, even as much as you might want to hate those groups. I think the reality is that you could see they were shades of what Pat Riley had created when he joined that team. And yet they were never able to accomplish what so many teams have tried and failed to do, which is to win a title. And I think a lot has to break right in order for you to get that lucky every year. So I think we have to look at what the potential is for this team. I don't think the ceiling is realistic to say a title, but as long as they're able to challenge some of the top teams in the Eastern Conference over the next three years and potentially go on one finals run over the next three years, I could view that as a successful offseason. I, I think that's my criteria. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe you disagree, and I'd love to hear from you, to be honest with you. I, I'd love to get this kind of feedback because I know one of the points that uh, a, you know, a longtime listener made recently was that I was being a little too optimistic and that maybe I needed to be challenged on this perspective a little bit. So if you have a different perspective, please feel free to reach out to me via email or DM or anything like that. I'm always available, and I love 
getting these kind of takes. But next, I'll be talking about whether or not this is a knockoff brand of the original Big Three. But let me tell you about a product we've been talking about lately, Sweat Block. Look, a lot of people have some profuse sweating problems. I know it can be problematic. I've got a friend who's a teacher. He doesn't want, you know, he feels uncomfortable because at some point midday, he's bound to sweat through his shirt. He doesn't want to look foolish in front of his students, so he brings his a change of shirt with him. This is so inconvenient for him. He recently purchased Sweatblock because I told him about it, and his life has changed. He's much more confident now. He doesn't have to worry about it anymore. It's doctor-created, doctor-recommended, and you've got a, a you know, seven-day-per-use. If you apply Sweatblock, you get seven days of use out of it. It's got a dry shirt guarantee. If Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. They've been featured on Amazon for the past 10 years with over 13,000 reviews manufactured right here in the USA. It's such a great product. I'm sure you'll appreciate it for yourself. If you've got a problem or you know somebody who does and wants to you know, do something about it, then Sweatblock is the right product for you. Again, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it at CVS. Or if you go to sweatblock.com right now, you can get 20% off, but only if you use the promo code LOCKEDON. So yeah, again, you can get it on Amazon or CVS. But if you go to sweatblock.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you get 20% off. Today, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. DirecTV Stream brings you live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. So this isn't necessarily a question, but rather an observation from longtime listener Billy. He writes in, I think I see the vision for the new Miami Heat. Pat Riley put together a knockoff brand version of the original Miami Heat Big 3. You got the stretch big who can read the floor, can shoot from distance, but didn't before the big three was formed. He can handle the ball and understands his role and makes winning plays by knowing where he needs to be, can score 20 points plus per game, but is more comfortable as a second or third option. You've also got the undersized guard with championship pedigree who had taken on the role of the leader and leading scorer of his team, a man who was the face of the organization's culture, who is still a strong defender on the older side of his career and is great at drawing fouls and the small forward now playing with his best friend, who is an incredibly smart, understands the game, leads by example, can score what he wants, but willingly defers to his teammates at the beginning of the game because he knows that they need to get involved before he looks for his own shots. On a team surrounded by savvy veterans, defensive stoppers, 3 and D players, a captain willing to call people out and be an enforcer, and a championship-caliber coach who is great with handling egos. You know... I'm glad, Billy, that you sent this in because, honestly, I don't think anybody's drawn this correlation before because it just it doesn't feel the same way. I mean, recall 2010 and just the sheer megawatt star power of those acquisitions of bringing in a MVP-level player in, in LeBron James to a MVP-level player in Dwayne Wade and adding another top 10 player in Chris Bosh. This feels bigger than even the assemblage currently in Brooklyn. Like, I, I think maybe it's comparable, but either way, it just it feels, it feels a little different. I mean, since then, we've seen the full-on formation of quote-unquote super teams going in a completely different route. And because of the way that that team in Brooklyn was put together, it feels different. Like Kyrie signs there, 
Kevin Durant signs there, but he doesn't play for a full year. Then KD plays, and then all of a sudden you have to bring in James Harden. And, of course, there's the the mess that he leaves behind in Houston. Not that it was any of his fault, and I totally appreciate you know player freedom of movement and everything else like that and wanting to play alongside a friend of KD. Look, they've been successful in one year together. But it just it feels a little different. Um, but still, in terms of this year's team, Miami Heat team, compared to 2010, I, I kind of like the comparison. I have to be honest with you. You did a pretty good job of drawing some of those correlations. Look, I, look, the Bam Adebayo, Chris Bosh comparison, they're different. Because Chris, even at the time before he joined Miami, was criticized for not being a center. To his credit, ahead of the game to some degree, yes, he had a great back-to-the-basket game. He had also a great face-up game, a little different than Bam. I think much more polished offensively than Bam ever will be. Um, perhaps not as explosive an athlete as Bam Adebayo, but I Chris, a superior scorer in almost every way. But the fact that they've trained together, that they've practiced together, that they're still linked somewhat through the Heat franchise, I think speaks uh, of, of this kind of correlation between the two players. I understand the role. Chris wound up evolving into more of what Bam currently is, which is more of a, a do-it, you know, do-it-all kind of player. A guy who could score, but also shoot from the perimeter. Hopefully, Bam's evolution leads more towards Chris Bosh's offense in terms of being able to spread the floor, because if he's able to become that, you know, three and D center, well, hell, that would be transformative. I mean, that's just the kind of player you exactly want on this roster. That would be ideal, because then you can do different things with the rotation. You can bring in a guy like Yurt Seven, who's you know bigger and closer to the basket. You can add other guys. Dwayne Dedman can play alongside Bam if he's able to stretch the floor. I'm not sure it's going to happen. We saw that transformation take place slowly over the course of four years to the point where eventually Chris became a legitimate three-point shooter. But, I mean, look, he was shooting 15-footers with regular ease in Toronto for seven years, and I think that was just the strength of his game. A little different in evolution, I think, but also a little older than what Bam is currently, and maybe he'll eventually make that leap. I, I think that's the goal, right? I mean, we've all kind of taken to cutting down what Bam doesn't do, but the reality is that he's, that he's capable of, of evolving into more. As far as the Kyle Dwayne Wade comparison, similarly undersized. Yes, uh, obviously Dwayne undersized for shooting guard, whereas Kyle is somewhat undersized just for the NBA in general. Uh, generously lifted, listed at six feet. Maybe he can take on uh, you know the uh, the role that Dwayne did towards the end of his career, where he was kind of seeding a little bit towards LeBron James. I, I think that would be the right call here as well. Kyle is probably going to you know defer a little bit to Jimmy Butler. I think Jimmy, uh, of the three, is probably the most impactful player individually, just in terms of everything that he does defensively and offensively. The fact that, as Billy points out, he can dominate late stretches of the game. It's a it's a really interesting comparison there. And yes, the rest of the team kind of makes sense, too, that, that you have savvy veterans. This isn't the same kind of, uh, you know assemblage of talent that we're currently seeing with the Lakers where you're ring chasing, right? There's a negative connotation towards ring chasing. It shouldn't, you know, because you can't crucify players for not winning a championship, which is beyond their individual ability to achieve. And then at the same time, criticize them for going out and getting that one ring and a team that helps them, you know, puts them in a position to do so. So that's, that's just my own, that's uh, one of the my two cents, one of the things I like getting on a soapbox about. There are several. I'll, I'll talk about the, the the evils of the NBA draft and uh, you know player movement as much as I possibly can. Not, not the evils of player movement. I'm a, a firm believer in players being able to go wherever and whenever they want. People using the idea, oh, they've got a contract. 
It doesn't matter to me. This is the NBA. This isn't a typical work situation. In any case, as far as the comparison between 2010, I mean, yes, it's a knockoff brand version. It is not as filled with as MVP-level talent as that 2010 group, but they've got a good supporting cast. They've got the right players. They're going to have a good identity. And look, that team, much like this one, will probably developed in, you know a great defensive identity. I think that's a, a big part of what everybody's kind of overlooked is the fact that they won a lot of games with their incredible defense. Part of their 27-game win streak was the fact that they were able to dominate defensively. And while this team probably won't be as good, they'll be you know better suited for today's game in many ways. I think uh, it's going to be a fun season to watch, to be honest with you. I, I think it really is. I know I keep making this point. Sorry, everybody. I hate to be too positive, but I do really, I am curious. Maybe it's just my journalistic, and you know, tendencies to kind of view it from that perspective. What's going to happen, right? You know, how are these teams going to mesh? How is this going to work together? You know, I, I was already talking to somebody about whether or not Jimmy Butler and, and, and Kyle Lowry are going to be able to function all season long. It's like, yeah, they're going to function well together, but they're also going to blow up at each other. For one, they're friends. For two, they're fiery as hell. This is just the nature of who they are. They're going to yell at each other at some point on the court. I, I think that's just the reality of what these two players do frequently. And I think it's just it's something we're all going to watch. And I'm sure everybody's already waiting to sharpen their knives and say, oh, man, this is it. This is this team's going to fall apart. But I think they'll just be able to uh, respond well after that. Anyway, I, I like the comparison, Billy. Thank you so much for sending this in. I've got another Common observation question type thing that I'll talk about next regarding CJ McCollum and Kendrick Nunn. But first, a reminder that Built Bar is still the best tasting protein bar I've ever had. Built Bar has so many delicious flavors. You can try them all from coconut to mint brownie to salted caramel, orange, cookies and cream. You can get a mixed box where you can get two of each of the nine flavors available. They have all the nutrients you're looking for. They fit so many different diets. They're 100% soft and easy to chew and covered in chocolate. And if you order today, you can get your choice of any of them. You can get a box of grasshopper cookie or raspberry or whatever you like. Go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCK15, and you get 15% off your order. Use the promo code LOCK15. For 15% off a mixed box or any kind of box you want, but only if you go to Built.com. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are not turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest 200,000 NFL survivor contest. Open now at BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of the opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champ, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL 100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, from football to basketball to boxing to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget to use the promo code Locked On. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. 
Host Peter Burkowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. So CJ McCollum recently had some points on the Adrian Wojnarowski podcast, and uh, I listened to the show. Uh, I understand what... Um, what the concerns were there in context. I know that a lot of the aggregating websites out there are going to take the headline out of his comments. CJ McCollum, you know, pissed off at the Miami Heat or throw shade at the Miami Heat or something along those lines. And I get it. Look, I, I mean, that draws clicks and everything else. But at the same time, there was a little bit more nuance to it. But it doesn't take away that he was basically casting Sam aspersions as to the way the Miami Heat uh, conducted business this past offseason, sp- particularly in terms of one player, Kendrick Nunn. Uh, this is a question, comment, observation, again, from Big Pat, who writes in, Recently, C.J. McCollum stated his interest in improving players' power during phases of NBA seasons. He referenced Kendrick Nunn losing out on money due to the heat holding on to the player. Do you agree that this is a problem? Also, the same thing happened to the Miami Heat when LeBron James failed to notify the Heat of his decision to leave, causing many free agents to sign with other teams, and how Kawhi Leonard failed to notify the Clippers of his intent to stay with them, which he ultimately did. All right, so there's a little bit to unpack there. I'll start off with the CJ comments. It was a back-and-forth discussion between McCollum, who has been recently elected as the president of the National Basketball Players Association. So that's first and foremost. He takes over for Chris Paul. He sat in as a member of the board over the last few seasons, and now he's learned directly from guys like Andre Iguodala, Chris Paul, and others about how to conduct business. James Jones held a, a position I think for some time. So I thought it was mostly a, a you know kind of a figurehead type position, but I think there is some realistic negotiation that has to take place there. He is a representative of the league from the players' perspective. They played a significant role during the Orlando bubble, especially with trying to figure out how to navigate really difficult times with you know player unrest, social justice movements and things of that sort, having to go into the bubble in the first place. McCollum even mentions that he didn't want to go in the Orlando bubble, but he kind of deferred to his teammates and said, let's take a vote, majority rules. And you know, as a result, he wound up participating with the Portland Trailblazers. He does want to stay in Portland. However, he likes it there. He's happy with that organization. And now this is just something he wants to challenge himself. McCollum, a very intelligent player. I've had the benefit of being able to talk to him a couple times. He has a journalism background. He likes the idea of interacting with media to some degree and understanding that, but he also has a powerful voice of his own. And I think he's going to do a lot to, as Big Pat writes in, provide new avenues for player empowerment, of which I am curious to see how those play out. But regarding the back and forth situation with Woj and Kendrick Nunn in particular, there were other examples that McCollum presented, but he did mention Kendrick Nunn specifically. And look, if we recall exactly what the nuances of that deal were, Kendrick Nunn, a restricted free agent, issued a qualifying offer by the Miami Heat on June 30th. Uh, June 30th or July 30th? No, I'm mistaken. Maybe I'm uh, either way. It was before July 30th, I want to say. I think both he and Duncan Robinson received a qualifying offer right before the start of free agency, set to begin on August 2nd, by the way. And so uh, when the, that qualifying offer gives. Miami the right to match any any offer sheets that are extended to Kendrick Nunn. He was, again, a restricted free agent. He could have signed an offer sheet with the Lakers, where he eventually wound up signing. He could have wound up signing one with the New York Knicks, who were apparently or reportedly offering more money. 
Instead, uh, because of the way that Miami was doing things with Kyle Lowry, uh, they wound up rescinding or pulling their qualifying offer and making Kendrick an unrestricted free agent. And he wound up signing with the Los Angeles Lakers for a two-year deal worth apparently around $11 million-ish, somewhere in that vicinity. Immediately, people challenging Miami, that was shady, this and that. uh, I think a lot of people were using some estimates provided by, I want to say, John Hollinger of The Athletic, that Kendrick could reportedly command a deal of up to around 11 to $12 million per year. I know that was a big part of what the market was. I never saw $12 million as a, as a realistic option. I know some people had projected somewhere around that vicinity. I thought it was always going to be 7 to 9-ish, uh, just because I've watched him play for two years, and I know exactly what he can and can't provide. And while there, he's young and has some potential and upside, it just also seems like he's more hardwired to be the player that we've seen over the last two years. That's a discussion that I don't have to worry about anymore because now he is the Lakers' uh, not necessarily problem to deal with. He is their player to enjoy and appreciate in many, many ways. But anyway, as far as Kendrick's free agency is concerned, he did wind up taking what a lot of people perceive was less money to play with the Lakers. He had other more lucrative offers, according to Kendrick. This is in recent reports when he spoke to Lakers media. Uh, I... I can't believe that people are looking at Miami and and CJ's observation of Miami screwing Kendrick over because they they you know they held out towards the last second of free agency like nobody it, it kind of reminds me yeah if you, I don't know if you've ever read a book called Boomtown before it's a fantastic look at not just the Oklahoma City Thunder of kind of rebuilding after the loss of James Harden and having Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook on that roster etc but also just a look at how the state of Oklahoma was formed. And, of course, if you recall what you know, the, the boomers were basically at that point in time before they became a colloquial expression for anybody that's over the age of 40. Now it, it is uh, boomers in Oklahoma were basically just people trying to grab land to create some opportunity for themselves because things in the east were so difficult. And, of course, westward expansion hadn't really started out to that huge a degree so you would basically stake a claim to a land. And, you know, it was the middle of nowhere. No sewer pipes, no tr- railway or anything like that. No, no, nothing really connecting you to any sort of city. But you know what? It's your land. You, you stake the claim. So kind of, re- you know, that's what the first day of free agency feels like. When in reality, it's not. You know, there are many players getting many deals within the next couple of days of free agency. It's not like you have a pot of $100 and everybody's trying to fight for it, you know, immediately right away. You know, you, you negotiate for days before the start, the quote-unquote start of frenzy. I mean, let's think about it. By 3 o'clock on August 3rd, that's when Sham Sharania reported via Twitter that Miami had pulled their qualifying offer for Kendrick Nunn. So Kendrick Dunn was an, an, a restricted free agent for less than 24 hours because free agency began at 6 p.m. on August 2nd, Monday, August 2nd. And then by 3 p.m., he was an unrestricted free agent. Even as soon as Shams tweeted this out, people were already saying Miami's shady. And I I just, I don't see why. Like, was he going to get that much money had he been an unrestricted free agent over the previous 21 hours? Like, how much money was out there for Kendrick Nunn? Like, wouldn't a team that was willing to offer that money to Kendrick, wouldn't they have done so anyway, knowing that Miami wasn't likely to match that offer, considering that it was no... You know, it was a pretty poorly kept secret that Miami was going to pursue both Duncan Robinson and Kyle Lowry. Like, if there are tampering charges to be left, you can't have it both ways. 
They can't be. You can't accuse Miami of tampering and and you know locking in Kyle Lowry days, weeks, hours, whatever months before the start of free agency, and at the same time say, well, why did they screw over Kendrick Nunn when in fact everybody knew that Miami was never going to try to bring back Kendrick Nunn for anything less than the amount of money he got. Like that was never the goal there. He was always not a part of this plan. If not at a you know a low term deal, basically they weren't going to pay him a lot of money because they had bigger fish to fry. They had bigger players, better players that they wanted you know devote some of that money to. Look, they they, pay, they played they paid PJ Tucker. They are going to be paying PJ Tucker more money over the next two years than Kendrick Nunn. And everybody's saying Kendrick Nunn has all this potential and everything else. Lakers fans completely buying in to the possibility of Kendrick Nunn being their best point guard slash defender on the perimeter and everything else. And it's just like, well, I mean, why is P.J. Tucker at age 40 getting more money than Kendrick Nunn? So do I agree it's a problem? I do think it can be a problem. I, I I think the reality is that there's no perfect solution here. As I've said before, the idea of tampering or a deadline is really ridiculous. I think part of what the NBA loves is this deadline, this idea that all of a sudden everybody is this feeding frenzy, right? This this shark attack of money pots out, you know, throughout 30 teams, and all of a sudden the, the big teams like Miami, the, the big market teams like Miami and New York and the Lakers and others have all this wealth of possibilities, and they can just pick and choose whatever players they want, and, and it's like it excites everybody. Everybody gets so worked up. I know I sure as hell did, and I'm mostly because of my job too, but, you know, starting at 6 p.m., you start to see all the tweets and all the reports from Woj and Shams and everybody else. And it's just like, it's fun. It creates an interest. It's partly what has made this sport a 365-day affair. Like, the season ended just weeks before, and we immediately launched into draft talk and then going into free agency talk. And maybe there's a brief month or so that we're currently in before everybody starts looking ahead to training camp and things of that sort. That's not a lot of time to have a, a kind of lull between. I mean, the, the NFL ended in, what, January, February? I don't even know when the hell Super Bowl is. But, you know, that's a that's a pretty substantial chunk. And I know, look, I know there's free agency there as well. I know there's the draft. A lot of people love the draft combine. I used to be one of those people myself. But uh, I, I think the system is created where people, they're trying to draw interest from fans. And I think that's just the nature of it. Players, some players are going to be able to get lucky enough to get a lot of money. And then there are players that are going to be just as good that aren't going to have that money available to them. So I don't think it's Miami's fault. I don't think Miami screwed over Kendrick Nunn. I'd be more than willing to call out any organization that I did, that did, if, if that was my opinion. I just don't believe that's the case. And, and to Big Pat's point, there are players that have some ownership themselves, you know, guys like LeBron and Kawhi. They can afford to hold franchises at bay. I mean, you look at what happened a few seasons ago with Kevin Durant, right? Now now we find out years later that KD only took meetings with Miami and other franchises, basically knowing all along that he was going to go to Golden State, that he had never he never had any intention of either going to Oklahoma City or to Miami, or to anywhere else, that he was basically just looking at Golden State because you know it provided the easiest path to a championship, to challenge himself and to get that next resume-building thing. So I, I think players, some players do have that ownership, and, and you have to understand that market. You, There's just no way around it. The money is finite. Unfortunately, that's the case. 
I don't think they should have a salary cap. I think they should do things differently, perhaps, to control how the money is allocated. I, I understand that there's also some interest in having Supermax contracts because players are more willing to resign with traditionally smaller market teams or worse teams like Milwaukee and things of that sort. I think the Giannis championship and the fact that he signed that Supermax extension last year is going to do a lot to help carry this argument forward that this helps, that the current collective bargaining agreement helps small market teams and, and creates the idea that some players just want to stay where they are currently at, whether they're you know avoiding big markets or nice weather or whatever, you know, tax-free cities and things of that sort. The truth is, I don't really think there's any exact science to what players want. And, and I'll be honest with you, you can besmirch Oklahoma City or Portland or Sacramento or any other quote-unquote small market, but the reality is that if you paid any young person 20-something million dollars and had a successful team that won a lot of games and perhaps competed for an NBA title, there's a good chance that you're going to be able to keep those players on there. Like, if you're young and male and rich and successful and winning and you check out, you check off all the boxes that might create the idea of a happy, well-contented person, I think that's that's more important than location or geography because let's be honest you may have a home in sacramento or any of these small market teams that nobody wants to go to but you can go wherever the hell you want to during the offseason a lot of players live in miami in the offseason miami only has 14 guys in their roster right now so it doesn't matter how many people have homes in south florida or travel here or make this a destination on their way to the caribbean or anywhere else they're not playing in Miami. There's only a finite number of roster spots available. So I, I don't I don't agree that geography plays as big a role as people think it does. Like CJ McCollum himself said, look, Portland is a great city that I happen to enjoy very much, but you can also make a case that maybe it's not a great city if you don't like, you know, civil unrest, if you don't like police brutality, uh, if you don't like rainy cold weather. I, I mean, these are things that are currently a part of Portland's culture. That's just the reality of it, uh, unfortunately. And, and yet, C.J. McCollum is happy in Portland, and Giannis is happy in Milwaukee, and nobody would say Milwaukee's a fantastic, typical NBA city, right? Everybody thinks of, of, of young men in the NBA flocking towards Los Angeles and Miami and Atlanta and other places like that. It's like, you know, Atlanta couldn't get free agents to save their lives. New York couldn't get free agents to save their lives. So screw that big market talk and small market talk, it's about being successful and ticking off those boxes. And so I think players have a lot of movement, but a lot of that reflects on the franchise and things of that sort. And I don't want players like Kendrick or anybody to get screwed out of the potential of winning more money or getting more money in, in, in free agency. But I think that's just inherently built in to the system. It's an unfortunate byproduct of that. But uh, anyway, that's that's my two cents on the whole situation. Thank you for writing in Big Pat. Thank you for writing in Billy and everybody else for listening. It's been a, a fun discussion. I'll be kicking off my what-if scenarios over the rest of the week. I'm hoping to get three more episodes in where I'll talk about what if LeBron James hadn't signed with Miami in 2010. I know it might be a sore spot with a lot of people, but uh, I'll continue to kind of ask these questions just because I think it's fun. It's kind of always interesting to go down memory lane and, and think about 
alternate realities, especially in context of that TV show that I talked about a couple days ago, What If, the new MCU TV show on Disney+, Plus, which I highly recommend. You know, I am a comic book fan, and I highly recommend it. In any case, just a reminder, you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. Send in suggestions, questions, etc. You can always reach me via Twitter using the hashtag AskAllHeat. Be sure to please follow the show if you haven't already. And always, please leave a review. I do take these into consideration. I do go check these on occasion. I probably shouldn't. Maybe it's vain of me. But I like getting feedback from people. And that is one of the ways in which you can submit feedback. So please do leave a review. Special thanks to all of our sponsors. But most of all, thanks to you. I'm David Ramil signing off for now.